Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Our memory verse, uh, our memory verse, so we've been working on that this summer, and today is our last day to do this, so I'm going to ask, uh, actually, Zechariah, yep, thanks, Zach, turn it off, because we're going to, today's test day, right, Zach? It's test day, so we're going to say this verse without looking at it. Anybody remember the, the reference, Proverbs 11, 11, it says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. A couple of you got it. And uh, we've been working on this all summer long, but there it is again. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. And we've been working on that this whole summer, and today's the last day for this message in this series. Um, but really asking the Lord, like, how do, what does that look like to bring the blessing of God to the city where we live? And the foundation of this whole thing has been from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. There's a little story in there that Solomon told about a city, a small city that was being attacked by a large army. And in that city, there was a poor but wise man, it says, who saved his city with wisdom. And we've just been on this quest this summer, like, how can I be that poor but wise man who lives in the city where I am and, and save this city, you know? And what does that look like? And so we've been talking about the, the power of compassion, the power of wisdom to actually bring wisdom to the situations that our cities face, the power of prayer, praying for the places where we live, the power of understanding. Pastor Kenny uh, looked at that last Sunday. And now this morning, we're going to wrap up this whole thing with it's going to seem sort of odd, but I think you'll see where we're going. The power of like. The power of like. Liking the people. Have you ever noticed that, that liking someone can be more powerful at times than loving them? Have you ever noticed that? That, in fact, one of the most effective ways that we can demonstrate love to someone is to like them is to take an interest in that person. You know what I mean? Like, I've heard people say, you know, I, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. You know, you've heard that statement before. People, we like to say that, and I get sometimes, we get annoyed. People can be annoying. But I wonder, is it really possible, is it really possible to do that? Like, I, I think to, to, to love someone is to appreciate them as human. To like someone is to enjoy them as a person. And there's a difference between treating someone as a human, which of course we are, and liking them just as a person, like for who they are, for something unique about that person, appreciating them. You know, I love you. You're a human made in the image of God, yes. But to like you, it means I actually have to find you to be valuable. I, I find you to be interesting. And I'm just going to say it. I think it's impossible to love God and dislike people because a love for God increases the size of my heart. It doesn't shrink it. A love for God increases the size of my heart. 
I begin then to have his love for other people. So it doesn't shrink it. It makes it larger. So my capacity to like other people actually grows as my love for God grows. Loving God means in part that I love the things that God loves, and God loves people. Like God digs people. And in fact, he finds us fascinating. God likes us. You know that God likes you. He really does. He likes you. Like Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God, in the cool of the day, would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden just to spend time with them. Huh. I think he liked them. In Exodus chapter 19, God told Israel, although the whole earth is mine, he says, yet for me you will be a treasured possession. It's, it's as if God, in essence, he's saying, you know, I own the whole joint, but you're my favorite. Although the whole earth is mine, he says, yet for me you will be my treasured possession. I think, God, that's a statement of liking. Um, Isaiah 49, 16, God has your name engraved on the palm of his hand, it says. In Psalms 139 that Kenny looked at last Sunday, uh, God thinks about us more times, it says, than the grains of sand on a seashore in a, in a day. That's thinking about you a lot. Like, it's safe to say that you're on God's mind 24-7. Or you have um, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He rejoices over you with singing. God sings a song about you. That sounds like he likes you. What do you think? He's making up songs about you. See what I mean? So can I ask you a question? If you truly believed that God likes you, how do you think it would change the way that you relate to him? Do you think that it might make you more free, give you more freedom? Perhaps it might increase your desire for him? Do you think it might make you less religious, maybe less prone to religious obligation, all the things you have to do? Well, because God likes you. He actually enjoys, he desires you, he likes you, he digs you. Or how about another question? If we truly believe that God likes you, how do you think this might change the way you interact with other people? Like, do you think it might make you less self-conscious? If, if you know down in your soul that God likes you, like, no, nah, I don't have to really worry too much about what other people think of me too much, do I? It makes me less self-conscious. It would make me less intimidated by other people. It would probably make me more focused on how my presence is affecting you rather than on how your presence is affecting me. It, it, it would free me to be able to be more about you than myself. If I totally own and know in my gut that God likes me. See, my ability to like other people is rooted in my belief that God likes me. Yeah. It is. This was actually the foundation of Jesus' own ministry on earth um, at his baptism. 
Jesus gets baptized, he goes under the water, comes up, and we hear the voice of God the Father saying, do you know the words? This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Now, take note. At that point in his life, Jesus had not yet done any miracles. Jesus had not yet preached any sermons. Jesus had not yet done anything Savior-like, anything Messiah-like. And yet God the Father, before Jesus had done anything, before he had accomplished anything, God says, that's my guy. I am pleased with him. Not just not pleased with all the things you can do or did, just pleased with you. And, and this is the very thing that, that actually then empowered Jesus to overcome and be victorious when he experienced temptation. Right from that event in the Bible, he goes into the 40 days where he's fasting and praying in the wilderness, and the devil tempts him in that time. And the first temptation, the devil says, if you are the Son of God, if, notice that, he's challenging that, if you're really the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. And Jesus can say, nah, I, I, don't, I don't need that. I live on every word that is spoken from the mouth of God. Not on bread alone, but on the word of God. And the word of God is, I'm his and he's mine. See? Second temptation, the devil says, hey, why don't you jump off this building? You jump off this building, the angels will rescue you, and, and then everybody's going to know that you're the Messiah. Come on, Jesus, you got to do that. And Jesus yeah, nah, I don't really need to show off for anybody because I, I know he likes me, right? I don't need to put the Lord my God to the test. And then the third time, the devil's like, you know, I'll tell you what, you, you worship me, Jesus, and I'll, I'll give you everything. All these kingdoms can be yours, Jesus. And that didn't even, I don't even think that moved the needle one ounce in Jesus' heart. He's like, nah, I have the love of my Father I don't need any of that. I already know it's mine anyway. I am his. He is mine. I'm convinced that it's, that it's this foundation right here where Jesus knew that he knew that he knew that the Father was pleased with him. And that's what gave him the strength to actually endure temptation, to minister to thousands, to rise above criticism. Because how many of you know, right? Jesus was criticized constantly by people. And yet, it didn't seem to take effect in his soul, did it? Why? Because at his core, he knew. The Father likes me. He's pleased with me. Can I ask you this question? Do you know that God likes you? Do you know that he does? Do you know that God delights in you? Do you see it? Do you see that he sings the song over you, that he sings about you? It's like Zephaniah 3.17. You know that? He, he actually takes pleasure in you. He thinks you're funny. He likes your jokes. He likes, your, he likes the things that you do. You know, you've got talents. You've got abilities. He just thinks they're so cool. He gave them to you. He, he loves that. You know that? He likes you. You know, it's, it's, have you ever noticed that, that every artist has a signature on their painting, you know, like if you're, a, if you're an art connoisseur, you can tell the difference between a Rembrandt and a, 
I don't know, or whatever. Yeah, Picasso is the only one that I know because all of his women are ugly. It's only, he's the only painter I, you know, it's like, you ever think, you ever wonder what did Picasso's subjects think when they first looked at the painting? Can you imagine that poor girl? Hey, can you sit here for, I want to paint you for, oh, great, oh, she thinks she's getting painted, sitting there. And then he goes, okay, I'm all done. And she goes around and she looks and she's horrified. Like, I don't look like that. Both eyes aren't on that side of my head. What are you talking about? Like, like, how does Picasso come up with it? But you know what I mean? Like, every artist has a signature. And you can, but you know, God has a signature. Can you see the thumbprint? Can you see the signature of God on your life? Like, he goes, yep, that one was obviously made by God. That one right there, see? Can you see it? I mean, think about this. The first person to like actually is yourself. What does God see in me? If God likes me, what does he see in me that he likes? And if he can like me, then maybe I can like me. You think? Sometimes I can be amazed at myself. Like last week, Kenny said, you know, he talked about Psalms 139. I'm pointing over here like he's there, like that's where Kenny was sitting in the first service. <laughs> but anyway, he, he and Keisha are on their way now to a conference, so God bless them this week. But, um, but you know, Psalm 139 says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes I'll finish a workout at the gym or finish taking a long bicycle ride, something like that. And I almost always stop and just say, thank you, Lord. What a privilege that is. To, you know, he gave me a body to move like that. Isn't that crazy? When you think about what your body does, it's, it's insane, you know? Or, or I think, man, I can take a, a concept and a blank piece of paper and turn it into a book. Like, how does that happen? Right? Or some guys can take, a, some guys can take a, a piece of dirt, and six months later, there's a house sitting on it. How, how does that happen? How do, how, do people, how do people put things together? And how is it that, we have, that we've got stuff way out in the farth reach, farthest reaches of space, telescopes flying out there? Like, guys actually figured that out. You know what I mean? How, how is it that some people know how to put a spice, put this spice with that spice and make a meal that makes you glad to be alive when you eat it? Like, how is it that some people have that ability to, to, to just play music out of nothing? Like, I think about that. I mean, do you realize that this, this guitar is nothing more than a chunk of wood and some strings? And yet, what Chris does with that? Like, do you catch how awesome that is? Okay, you, you see, what, you see how, how phenomenal you are? You get that, right? Or like the ability to, the ability to just, some people have the ability to just like suck you in and love on you like you're the only person in the whole world. Have you ever known somebody like that? You go into their, you just go into their presence and they just like love you. What is it about that? Some of those people. I love that. Or, or some people, you ever notice some guys have the ability to make money? They do. I mean, I, kind of, I wish I had that ability, but like, so there's people that really do. It's like they can turn almost anything into a profit somehow. What is that? It's, it's the signature of God. 
That's, that's, I mean, the, you know, the Bible actually says that he gives the ability to make wealth. That's actually a Bible verse. You know what I mean? Like, so in other words, do you see the signature of God on human beings, on people? It's amazing. Everybody, absolutely everybody has a superpower. Why? Because every human is made in the image of God. God made humans, and we're fascinating, and we're complex. And check it out. One of the most powerful gifts that you could give to another human being is to help them to see it. What if God has put you in this city to help the people of this city see the signature of God on their lives? And I'm saying that's what, that's the power of like. I, 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 might not, I might not like like everything that they do, right? I might not appreciate it. I might not like your politics, and I might not like your habits, and I, I might not like your attitudes, and I, you know, I might not like a lot of things, right? But I can like the signature of God on your life, and, and I, can, I can show you that. If God can put me in your life for just five minutes, give me the chance to just peer into your soul, to, to, to love on you for just that, to focus on you for just that five minutes and help you to see the signature of God in your life. See, I can like that. Does that make sense? Like somebody after the first service said, they challenged me, they said, I don't think you could like Osama bin Laden. And I said, I don't know, I never, I never had the chance to meet the guy. But you know what? I, he, I bet you he's charismatic. You can't do what he did without having some kind of charisma, right? And so, therefore, I'm guessing you actually might enjoy hanging out with that guy. I'm, I might totally, I totally disagree with how he used it, right? I'm not, I'm not at all justifying his life. I'm just saying you could no doubt find something about that man that you could identify with and like. And that is a platform for the gospel. That's the point. That's the point. Um, so, you know, you might argue, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't like people. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not me. I'm not into people. Um, what I have to say might hurt, so please, uh, I love you. But that's because the reason you don't like people is because you're broken. You know, um, we sometimes dislike people because we've been hurt by them. And, and let's face it, people can stink sometimes, okay? And so, so it's easier to disengage from other people. It's easier to hide behind a book or hide behind a screen, right, than it is to risk getting hurt by somebody again. So I get that. Sometimes we dislike people because they remind us too much of our own brokenness, and we project our brokenness onto other people. You know, I'm judgmental, I'm stubborn, I'm difficult, so therefore I see that in everybody else that I meet, and it's easier to not have to look at that, so I'll just avoid it altogether, see? You might argue, well, I'm an introvert, and introverts don't like people, and I would say that's not true. That's not the definition of introvert. Being an introvert can't mean that you dislike people. To like people is to value them. People are priceless, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And that goes beyond the limitations of our personalities. Can I tell you a little story? 
one of the best church greeters in our 34 years of ministry was a guy in our Punxsutawney church uh, many years ago named John McMillan. And John is now with the Lord, so God bless him. Um, but uh, he was a, uh, John was a hog farmer. And you can just imagine he was a lot more comfortable on his tractor in the middle of the field, a lot more comfortable slopping his hogs on the farm all by himself than he really was with people. I mean, he definitely was at home by himself in the middle of that field. And John was awkward whenever you talked to him, his face would flush. You know, he'd get that red flush in his face. He just was awkward with people. But yet something happened in his life. God got a hold of him. And it happened actually before Karis and I had come to that church. So we weren't there to see the transformation, but we heard the story. He was an amazing church greeter. He like made it his personal mission to stand at the front door every Sunday. He had a notepad. He got people's names. He got your kids' names. He got your dog's name. And he really did, and he would like, and he used that then the next time he saw you, you came in next week, hey, how's Fido? He talked to you, right? That was, that was John, and John McMillan was as big of an introvert as you'll ever find, as awkward with people as you would ever find. He's a man, but he was a man who had surrendered himself to the Holy Spirit, that God got a hold of him, and he gave himself to the Lord, and he cared for people, even though he was the way he was. I'm just saying that, that we, we don't want to ever use our personalities as, as an excuse to, to not be what God is calling us to be. Does that make sense? This is how God's love works. Um, I want us to go to 1 John chapter 4. There's a, something I want us to say. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It's at the very end of your Bibles. It's like one of the last books of the Bible. So if you're looking it up, start in the, start in the back. You'll be close. 1 John chapter 4. I'll read from verse 7 through 21. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will all have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, 
we're like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Boy, it's a powerful passage. There's a lot in here. Um, let me just walk through it a little bit. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 begins the whole thing. Love comes from God. So where does love come from? God. Yeah, in other words, the concept is his. He invented it. Not some poet, not some songwriter somewhere. God is the one who actually love is his concept, his idea. It's birthed out of his heart. So if there is no God, there is no love, period. In the same way that if you've got, you know, to have water, you have to have hydrogen and oxygen. So if there's no hydrogen, there's no water, right? If there's no God, there's no love. Love is as linked to him as anything else. And so any love that we've experienced or that we do experience in our lives here, it comes from him. See, it works that way. And then verses 9 and 10. Love is demonstrated, he says, in the gift of Christ. So you want to know what love looks like? It looks like Jesus. First, it looks like Jesus and what he did. Verse 10 says that he paid an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See that in verse 10? The word there is actually the word propitiation, which is a weird word, I know. But propitiation, it means literally to satisfy wrath. So Jesus did this for you and me. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that was on you and me. Do you know that you and I were under we were all born under the wrath of God. And some of you may even be under the wrath of God this very moment. You say, really? Yeah. See, the wrath of God is aimed at the sin that you and I have committed. He's aimed at our sin. You and I stand in, I mean, we are standing in judgment because of that sin. The wrath of God is on us because of that. And Jesus saw the need. See, here's what love does. Love benefits. It always looks to do something to benefit someone else. That's what love does. It, it always does something for the betterment, for the best for someone else. And so here's Jesus. He sees that you and I are under the wrath of God. And what does he do? He dies in our place. He paid for the sin that you and I would not have to be under the wrath of God, that if we received his free gift of salvation, we would, be, we would escape the wrath of God. That's what he's saying there, first of That's what's in there. He's an atoning sacrifice and a, a propitiation for our sin. You see that? So the only person standing in the way of you having a right relationship with God is you. Like Jesus has done everything needed to make sure that you can be right with God and that you are not under the wrath of God because he loves you. And, and what's needed to complete that transaction is for you to receive him, for you to, for you to simply acknowledge that Jesus has done this for you 
and to say, thank you, Jesus. I receive your salvation. I receive your forgiveness. Make me right with God. See, that completes the transaction. But Jesus did the first, the important step. And why? Because he loves you. Because that's what love does. Love seeks to benefit someone else. That's what he's saying. And then you come into John chapter, uh, verse 12. Verse 12 is stunning. Look at it. Let me just read it again. He says, no one has ever seen God. Well, that makes sense. You've, God is a spirit, so you've not seen him, have you? But yet God as a spirit is like the wind. Have you noticed that? I can't see the wind, but I see what the wind does. I can see the leaves rustle and so forth, but I can't see the wind. And God's the same way. I can't see God, but I see what he does. But verse 12 takes it a step further. He says, but if we love one another, look at that, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So when we love one another, we actually make God visible. People can see like, oh, that's God. That's what he looks like when I love someone else. Isn't that crazy? To me, that's stunning. That, that, that God would allow that to happen, that God would work that way, that through someone like me, like me, if, if, if I'm loving someone, like in the way that Christ loves, to their benefit, right? In that moment, that's when God becomes visible, in that moment. And that I would have the privilege to be a part of that somehow, or that you would have that privilege, isn't that stunning? It blows my mind away. It just blows me away. And then verse 17, it says, God's love is made complete in us. So you see how this works? It's like a cycle. God loves us. We love others. Now it's complete. God loves us, we love others, now it's complete. You see, love does not store up well. Love is not a, love is not a savings account. It's more like a checking account with an ATM card. And, and God puts it in, God makes the deposits, and then I make the withdrawals. And he makes another deposit, and I'm another withdrawal. So he loves me, I love you, now it's complete. See? And then verse 18 says, perfect love then casts out fear. There's just no fear in it. The opposite of love is not hate, as many people presume. The opposite of love is fear. Because fear says, pull back. Fear says, hide. Fear says, isolate. Don't trust. Protect yourself. Fight for your rights. Like, this is what fear says. And love says, let me just give it all away. You see how the two are complete opposites? And so how do I drive fear away from my life? I love. And how do I remove love from my life? Fear. Like they literally can't be in the same, they're like oil and water. They can't be in the same place together. So perfect love drives out fear. See? And you say, well, man, as a follower of Jesus, you and I have the best example to follow ever, don't we? You go back to verses 9 and 10, that he's a propitiation for our sins. When I think that he would satisfy the wrath of God, 
that he would see my need and move to meet that need before I ever knew I even had it, that Jesus would do that for me. Like, that inspires me to be able to do that for someone else. See, I've got the best example ever to follow, and so do you. He held back nothing. It inspires me to do the same. And this is what verse 19 says. You see verse 19? We love because he first loved us. His love for us inspires our love for others. And it's right there, and then it ends in verse 20. Verse 20 brings it home. He says, listen, you can't, you can't love God and hate your brother. The two just don't mix. It's, it's, it's impossible to have like this, this ethereal spiritual experience where, oh, I just love God, and then turn around and diss other people. They don't, they don't jive. Because if, I'm, because if God's love is in my heart, then that's going to move towards other people. Naturally, it does. See, liking other people is so powerful, friends, that it even affected Jesus. Um, one of my, one of my uh, I, I think one of the most moving scenes um, in the whole Bible is John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is uh, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, and he spends about 40 days, and he's uh, with his disciples, you know, eating breakfast and hey, all the stuff they did, which must have been awesome. And so, but the scene in John chapter 21, Jesus is on a beach at the Sea of Galilee, and it's the first time that he sees the apostle Peter. He sees Peter since Peter denied knowing him. Do you know the story on the last night of Jesus' life? Peter three times denies that he even knows Jesus. And now this time, can you imagine the emotion of the moment? Can you put yourself in Peter's place? The last time I saw Jesus, I was saying, I don't know that man. And cursing, by the way, the Bible says. Peter with a curse said, I don't know that man. So he was adamant about it. And now, and now just days later... They're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus and Peter meet for the first time. And Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And of course, that goes with the three denials. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Third time, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter's heart broke, and he said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, in the English, we just see the word love, and we only have one word for the word love. You know, I, I say I love pizza and I love my wife. And you just, and you automatically know that, that those are two different loves. That obviously I don't love Karis the same way I love pizza, right? But, but that's, yeah, thank the Lord. And that's, so that's the, uh, we just know by context. But in the Greek, they didn't leave it to the context. They actually had different words for love. And many of you know this, but the, the highest form of love is the word agape, agape love. And the first time, the first two questions that Jesus, the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? That's the word he uses. Peter, do you agape me? Yes. Do you agape me the second time? Yes, Lord. Third time, he doesn't use the word agape. There's another Greek word for love. It's the word phileo. It means brotherly love. You know Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love? It's a Greek word. That's the word Jesus used the third time. 
So in, in, in essence, it's like Jesus is saying this. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you like me? And that was the question that crushed Peter's heart. The Bible says he was crushed by it. He was, he was like heartbroken that Jesus would ask him that. But do you, th- do you see that that would make sense? Peter, the last time I saw you, you were saying you didn't even know me, right? Do you like me, Peter? And Peter, with a crushed heart, says, Oh, Lord, you know everything. You know that I do, you know? I guess what I'm saying is that if being liked is important to Jesus, then it's important to anybody. And you know it's important to you, and you know that it's important to the people that you interact with on a daily basis. They, they need to be liked. And we live in a world that is like all about tolerance and, you know, basically approval. And, but I don't think people know in their souls that they're liked. There's a big difference between tolerating somebody and liking them. Wouldn't you agree? There's a big difference between acceptance and liking, like two different things. And I'm saying that, that liking someone is actually a platform then for the gospel. And, and liking them doesn't mean that I like everything about them. It just means that I can see the signature of God on her life. And that's what I like. That's what I'm connecting to. And that's what I'm helping them to see, that, that God has put his thumbprint on them. Do you see how amazing you are? You see? And, and see, our, our culture's so actively trying to get people to think, oh, that you can find this in your own heart, but you don't find it in your heart. You, you only find it in relationship with God. And so the further removed from God our culture is, the more confused people become about themselves. You, you can't remove God from the picture and then expect to remain sane. You just can't. And so, friends, now is the time for the people of God to say, hey, I can see God's thumbprint on your life. Look at that. And help them to see it and use that as a platform for the gospel. That's, that's, that's the heart of the message. I hope that you hear my heart. And I also pray that you didn't receive this message with shame this morning. I, I just, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've heard a finger wagging in your soul saying, you should like people more, um, that wasn't the Spirit of God. Um, and I'm sorry if you heard that. I just want you to know how valuable you are in God's eyes, how precious and how much he delights in you. He sings songs over you. He thinks about you more than there are grains of sand on the seashore. Like every time you, uh, every time you swing a hammer, God's like, wow, I gave him that gift. Every time you write a computer program, God's like, man, he delights in that. Every time you 
sing a song or paint a painting or do whatever it is that you do, you know? Every time you do, God's like, yes. See, he delights in that. Mm, I hope you see that. I hope you hear that today. Because that is the foundation then for us to actually bring this blessing to the cities where we live. Imagine what it would look like if an army of people were unleashed, <laughs> unleashed on this region, who were, who were called by God to literally show anybody that we met the signature of God on their life. You know, at a gas station, wherever it is, grocery store, work, wherever you are, school, to be able to see, man, I can, do you see the amazing, that's amazing right there and help people to see the amazing that God has done in their lives. I don't know. I just think like that could really have impact. Let's bow your heads with me and let's pray, okay? God, we, um, we need you. And Lord, I, I just say thank you for liking me. Really, it's um, like the psalmist said, what is man that you're mindful of him? And when I look at myself, as small as I am, and I look at you as big as you are, it really is a marvel, God, that you would like me. And yet you do. And I just say thank you. So Lord, I pray today for those of us here who have wounds in our souls that, that even prevent us from receiving a message like this I pray God that you would break past those just in this moment break past it and, and like plant a seed in the soul that begins to germinate and to grow and to produce fruit I pray and we ask this in Jesus name Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.